Shalom, shalom. Welcome, welcome, world changers. Tonight, we are going to get into the book of Nahum or Nahum, and we are going to get into Second Kings again, Second Chronicles, doing a little bit of comparison, especially with the life of uh, King Josiah. And as I shared before, as I shared last night, actually, in the New Testament, you read of a certain city called Capernaum. Uh, Capernaum in the Hebrew would be Kafer Nahum, which literally means village of Nahum. So it, Capernaum was actually the village that Nahum came from. Uh, just a little bit of a factoid for you guys. Okay, so let's do this. Nahum chapter 1. The burden against Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkoshite. God's wrath on his enemies. Verse 2. God is jealous and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all quit, acquit the wicked. Uh, reads very much like how it does in Exodus, where it's like the Lord, the Lord is slow to anger and, and abundant in, in mercy, not acquitting the, the wicked. Uh, I, I believe there's a, it's a really good, uh, I believe that God actually made sure that this is together basically almost in the same breath. Um, actually, it is in the same breath, more or less, uh, that the Lord is slow to anger and great in power and not and will not at all quit the wicked. You know that today in most churches, they would say the Lord is slow to anger and great in power, period. Like it's all by grace or God is love. Well, you know what? It is all by grace and God is love, but don't miss the second part of it. He will not at all acquit the wicked. He will not at all acquit the wicked. That's what a lot of people fail to mention. Moving on, the last part of verse 3. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. Reminds me of uh, in, in um, Isaiah where it says the earth is his footstool, heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. The clouds are the dust of his feet. Verse four, he rebukes the sea and makes it dry and dries up all the rivers, Bashan and Carmel wither and the flower of Lebanon wilts. The mountains quake before him, the hills melt and the earth heaves at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. The word heaves here in the footnotes. Uh, in the Targum is burns, burns, the, the earth burns at his presence. Verse six, who can stand before his indignation and who can endure his, the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire and the rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make an utter end of its place, and darkness will, will pursue his enemies. What do you conspire against the Lord? He will make an utter end of it. Affliction will not rise up a second time, for 
while tangled like thorns, and while drunken like drunkards, they shall be devoured like stubble, fully dried. From you comes forth one who plots evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. Thus says the Lord, though they are safe and likewise many, yet in this manner they will be cut down. When he passes through, though I, ha though I have afflicted you, I will, I will afflict you no more. For now I will break off his yoke from you and burst your bonds apart. The Lord has given a command concerning you. Your name shall be perpetuated no longer. Out of the house of your gods, I will cut off the carved image and the, molten, the molded image. I will dig your grave, for you are vile. Behold, on the mountains, the feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace. O Judah, keep your appointed feasts, perform your vows. For the wicked, for the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. Nahum chapter 2. The destruction of Nineveh. He who scatters has come up before your face. Man the fort. Watch the road. Strengthen your flanks. Fortified your power mightily. For the Lord will restore the excellence of Jacob like the excellence of Israel. For the emptiers have emptied them out and ruined their vine branches. The shields of his mighty men are made red. The valiant men are in scarlet. The chariots come with flaming torches in the day of his preparation. And the spears are brandished. The chariots rage in the streets. They jostle one another in the broad roads. They seem like torches. They run like lightning. He remembers his nobles. They, they, they stumble in their walk. And they make haste. They make haste to her walls. And the defense is prepared. The gates of the river are opened. And the palace is dissolved. It is decreed. She, she shall be led away captive. She shall be brought up, and her maidens shall lead her as with the voice of doves, beating their breasts. Though Nineveh of old was like a pool of water, now they flee away. Halt! Halt! they cry, but no one turns back. Take, the spo take spoil of silver. Take spoil of gold. There is no end of treasure or wealth in, of every desirable prize. She is empty, desolate, and waste. The heart melts, the knees shake, much pain is in every side, and all their faces are drained of color. Where is the dwelling of the lions and feeding place of the young lions, where the lion walked the lioness and lion's cub, and no one made them afraid? The lion tore in pieces enough for his cubs, a cubs, killed for his lionesses, filled his caves with prey, and his dens with flesh. Behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. I will burn your chariots in smoke, and the sword and the sword shall devour your lung, your young lions. I will cut off your prey from the earth, and the voice of your messengers shall be heard no more. 
Nahum chapter 3. The woe of Nineveh. Woe to the bloody city. It is all full of lies and robbery. Its victim never departs. The noise of a whip and the noise of rattling wheels. The galloping horses of clattering chariots. Horsemen charged with bright sword and glittering spear. There is a multitude of slain. A great number of bodies. Count, countless corpses. They stumble over the corpses because of the multitude of the of harlotries and uh, of the seductive harlot. The mistress of sorceries who sells nations through her harlotries, the families through her sorceries. Behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the, na- the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. I will cast abominable filth upon you, make you vile, and make you a, skeptic- a-, a spectacle. It shall come to pass that all who look upon you will flee from you and say, Nineveh is laid waste. Who will bemoan her? Where shall I seek comforters for you? Are you better than no Amon? No, and the footnotes is the ancient Thebes. Um, Targum Vulgate says Populus Alexandria. That was situated by the river. Of course, the river is Euphrates. That had the waters around her, whose rampart was the sea, whose wall was the sea. Ethiopia and Egypt were her strength, and it was boundless. Put and Lubim were her help. Were your helpers? Yet she carried. She, yes, she. Excuse me. Yet she was carried away. She went into captivity. Her young children also were dashed to pieces at the head of every street. They cast lots for her honorable men, and all all her great men were bound in chains. You also will be drunk. You will be hidden. You also will seek refuge from the enemy. All your strongholds are fig trees with ripened figs. If they are shaken, they will fall. They fall into the mouth of the eater. Surely your people in your midst are women. The gates of your land are wide open for your enemies. Fire shall devour the bars of your gates. Draw your water for the siege. Fortify your strongholds. Go into the clay and tread the mortar. Make strong the brick kiln. There the fire will devour you. The sword will cut you off. It will eat you up like a locust. Make yourself many like the locusts. Make yourself many like the swarming locusts. You have multiplied your merchants more than the stars of heaven. The locust plunders and flies away. Your commanders are like swarming locusts, and your generals like great grasshoppers, which camp in the hedges on a cold day. When the sun rises, they flee away, and the place where they are is not known. Your shepherds slumber, O king of Assyria. Your nobles rest in the dust. Your people are scattered on the mountains, and no one gathers them. Your your injury has no healing. Your wound is severe. All who hear news of you will clap their hands over you. 
for upon whom has not your nakedness passed continually? Seek truth in Christ says, uh, do we have complete freedom from sinning or sin in this body, in the flesh, on this world? Or someone would say this side of heaven from ongoing sin. Paul Washer, he said, no. Well, some of the things he says is good. Some of the things he doesn't, he says, is, you know, not so. So, so the question here is this, do we have complete freedom from sinning or sin in this body in the, you said flush, but I think you mean flesh uh, on this world. Okay, here's the deal. A lot of Christians believe, you know, as long as we are in the flesh in this world, we are going to we're going to continue to sin. So when we die and go to heaven on that side of heaven, then we're going to stop sinning. Here's the problem with that. You are putting more faith in your death than in Jesus' death. Period. Full stop. Anybody who says Oh, um, we, no one can stop sinning on this side of heaven because we got the flesh. So when we die, then we'll stop sinning. Like I said, first of all, anybody who says that is putting more faith in their death than in Jesus' death to give them power over sin. Period. Full stop. On top of that, anybody who says that is Gnostic fundamentally gnostic because this is what the gnostics are like gnostics like if it's of the flesh it's 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 easy so as long as you have the flesh you got evil with you but as long as you don't you know the the, the spirit's good the flesh is bad gnosticism okay no um we don't buy into gnosticism nor do we trust in our death more than jesus death okay here's the idea first of all there are people who do not sin in this life. I, I often mention little children. You know, unfortunately, sometimes children do pass away and they don't have sin. They don't have sin because they're innocent. What commandments do they break? What commandments do they break? There's no sin. Sin is transgression of the law, 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. They don't transgress the law, they have no sin. Just as 1 John said, even John, in 1 John said, if you are born again, you don't sin. Now, I know this is kind of a rabbit trail, and this is kind of off the beaten track and off the, off the topic for tonight, but hey, um... First John is is a is a is a really good book actually. Uh, so First John You know what? Let's just quickly go over First John because First John Let's just let's just look at First John for a moment because it's just so powerful. It's just so powerful. A lot of Christians, unfortunately, they ignore First John in, for the sake of their their <laughs> their antinomianism. So let's uh, let's look at First John chapter two, verse one. My little children, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. So 
if anyone sins. He doesn't say when you sin. Okay? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So first of all, he says, I write these things to you so you don't sin. If it's not possible, then this makes no sense. If it's, if it's not possible to, to live in the flesh without sin, then what John said here is, makes absolutely no sense. Because he said, I write to you so that you may not sin. He could have said, he could have said, my little children, you know, you're all human and y'all are in the flesh still and you're all going to sin, but just do your best. But that's not what he said. I write to you so that you may not sin. First John chapter 3 is just amazing when it comes to this kind of thing. Uh, verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are the children of God and it has not been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed we shall be like Him for we shall see Him as, as He is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you, you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. In him there is no sin. So let me stop here for a second. Take away our sins. It doesn't say cover our sins. He said he was manifested to take away our sins. He didn't say he was. He came just to throw a rug over our mess. Sweep. He came just to sweep the mess under the rug. No, he came to clean it up completely. Right. So that's the that's the deal. Whoever abides in him, here it is, First John chapter three verse six. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Oh, whoa, John, bravo, awesome. <laughs> That's a lot of chutzpah there, right? I mean, he who abides, everybody said, like all believers, all Christians believe that, oh yeah, I'm in Christ. Oh yeah. A lot of them even signed letters saying in Christ, you know, in Christ and sign their name. I'm in Christ. I'm in him. I'm in God. I, you know, I, I'm in, I'm in Jesus. I'm in Christ. Well, if you are, you don't sin, according to John. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Ooh, isn't that another, uh, you know, shot in the face of antinomianism right there? Whoever sins has neither seen him. Yeah, you haven't even seen him. Let alone know him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Who, he who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. Oh, Gotta love that. Gotta love that. Why? Because he did not say, John did not say, little children, let no one deceive you. You know, you got these Torah observers out there saying you, 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 shouldn't, you shouldn't just, you know, uh, uh, you don't have to obey God's commandments. All you got to do is just trust in Jesus. And those who trust in Jesus, are, those are the ones who are righteous. All you got to do is just, you know, just trust in Jesus and accept it, you know, accept him as your Lord and Savior and you are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. That's your righteousness by faith. John could have said that. He didn't even say anything near that. He didn't even imply that. He who practices righteousness. I love what some of the other Bible translations say. 
Of course, the King James says, uh, he who does righteousness, he who doeth righteousness is righteous. For, uh, NIV, let no one lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous. Pretty clear, pretty simple. Again, CSB, the one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. And notice again what John did not say. He did not say, oh, no one can be as righteous as he is. No one can be as righteous as Jesus is. Uh, excuse me? That's the reason why he came. To teach us how to live and to provide an example for us to follow. Jesus didn't say, what I do, nobody else can do. Only Jesus. On the contrary, the, the exact opposite. You know, John, John 14, verse 12. He who believes in me will do, will do what I've been doing and even greater works than what I've been doing. F forget the only Jesus thing. If you really truly have your faith in Jesus, if you really truly have your faith in Yeshua, you are easy, you can easily do what he has done and greater than that. As as Paul or as John, excuse me, not Paul, far from it. John, uh, as John said, the one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. Let me just say this. Whenever someone says, let no one, whenever you see something in the scriptures that says, let no one deceive you, you can be, you can be sure the very next con, the very next sentence, the very next concept that, that's, that the very next thing that is said is something that a lot of people are deceived about. And this is, this is for sure the case. A lot of people think, all you got to do is just believe it. Oh, I just, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe Jesus died for my sins. Therefore, I'm righteous because I'm clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Um, excuse me. That's not what Paul, that's not what, yeah, I keep on. That's not what John said. That's John said, the one who does what is right is righteous. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. And then he goes as far as to say this, first John 3 8, he who sins is of the devil. He who sins is of the devil. How many pastors do you know actually got up in the pulpit on Sunday morning and preached a sermon on that? How many, how many pastors, how many preachers do you know? How long have you been in church and how, and how many times have you heard this? He who sins is of the devil. If you sin, and you know what they say. They say pretty much the opposite. They say, well, we're all sinners. We can't do it. As long as we're in the flesh here in the world, you know, on this side. Oh, as long as we're on this side of heaven, we cannot, you know, we can't help it. We're just sinners. You know, we're just all sinners saved by grace oxymoron. It's an oxymoron to say you're a sinner saved by grace. Grace actually gives you the power to stop sinning so that you're not a sinner anymore. You're an ex-sinner. It's, it's a lot more accurate to say I'm an ex-sinner saved by grace because by the grace of God, he enabled me to live the way he wants me to live. I mean, if God wants you to do something if certainly he can give you the power to do it and he certainly wants you to obey his commands he certainly wants you to live be holy as i am holy jesus even said be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect 
Of course, again, I don't believe that Yeshua will be barking out commands that no one can obey. He said, go and sin no more. Twice. Not just once to one person, but twice. In the book of John, twice, okay? Go and sin no more. Once, once it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And then it's plastered over everything. But twice, two, twice as many times, he said, go and sin no more. But how many people you hear say that? Go and sin no more. Not go and sin. Uh, you're, you're human. You're going to sin anyway. So just try to do, uh, just, you know, just believe. No, go and sin no more. It's just, there's no tolerance there. No tolerance. You read, you read uh, Revelation chapters 2 and 3. Revelation chapters 2 and 3. You see that Jesus makes it very, very, very clear. There is zero, zip, none, zilch tolerance for sin. Zero tolerance for sin. In fact, even he told his own, it was the church he was talking to. It wasn't wasn't the world. I mean, the world is even, you know, a million times worse. But the church, he says, if you don't repent of your sin, more or less, if you don't repent, serious, serious judgments will fall upon you. And for the most part, if not all the time, it doesn't sound like salvation to me, if you ask me. But um, yeah, Yeshua has no tolerance for sin. So 1 John 3, 8, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the, from, the, uh, from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Of course, in this context, the works of the devil is simply sin. Here we go again. 1 John 3, 9, whoever has been born of God does not sin. So anybody who says they're born again and sins, well, you got, you got to ask some questions. He who has been born of God, in other words, born again, does not sin, for his seed, his seed remains in him. He cannot sin because he has been born of God. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not, or whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. <laughs> Pretty simple. Nor is he who, who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the, from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And, and why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. That's why. His works were evil and his brother's righteous. Right? So it's just amazing what you, what you see here. And in John here, he repeats this concept. He repeats this concept. You read the whole book of First John, actually. I think I went over it twice online. The whole thing twice online. Uh, once, um, let me think now. No, excuse me. Once entirely online, I went over the whole thing. And so you'll see uh, my previous my previous videos on that thank you very much seek truth in christ very good question blake says shalom i was running late welcome welcome blake good to see you 
Seek Truth in Christ says it's 99% of the people that I know I grew up into that they they believe this and this is what God is getting me out from fake belief yeah fake beliefs yeah for sure absolutely yeah that's the thing he says God has shown me this and he's taking me out of this fake life you're so right thank you well thank you for asking and uh and thank you for your kind comment I appreciate that Yeah, Blake says, be perfect as your heavenly, as your father in heaven is perfect. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Kingdom Concepts says, Hebrew word kafar means to purge or cleanse. So, you think it means to cleanse Nahum, to, clean, to cleanse the prophet Nahum? Um, okay. So, in. Okay. So. I'll just pull up a, a, a verse here. This is Matthew 4.13 that mentions Capernaum. Okay. Uh, scroll down here in the interlinear. You got the word Capernaum in the Greek. Okay. So it says here of Hebrew origin, probably Kafer, Nahum. Okay. So Kafer, Kafar means, Kafar means village 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 of nahum which makes sense i mean you got kafar kafar nahum capernaum village of nahum it's the city that nahum came from jordan says shalom all shalom jordan good to see you Kingdom Concept says, if you don't read Pauline letters, you are much better off. I do agree with you, Peter. I do agree with you, Peter, on that. Um, I, I I say, like, and this is, is where I am. It's like, Paul should have been put with the early church fathers, really. I mean, well, the whole idea of Bible canon, it all really boils down to Bible canon. The only reason why people bend over backwards to try to exonerate Paul is just because of their bibliolatry, because they, they, they idolize a Bible canon. The only reason why they believe that Paul is 100% of God true, it's the only reason why is because he's in the Bible. If he wasn't in the Bible, they would throw him right, right alongside Clement or any, any of these other people, Clement or Tertullian or, you know, perhaps even worse, right? For sure. Absolutely. <laughs> I noticed that now that I'm completely anti-Paul. Well, it's, it's, as I said, you know, the, the only good thing that came, that comes out of the Bible canon is, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Convenience, just convenience. If it wasn't for, if it's, I mean, the, basically, the only good thing we get out of having like, well, this is more than 66 books here. This is the Orthodox Bible right here. Uh, so this is like 70 some odd books. But um, 
Yeah. The only good thing about having it all together in one book called the Holy Bible is just convenience. There's nothing really good out. Apart from that, there's nothing you get good out of it. Because people, they, they, they tend, they have a tendency to, to make the Bible into an idol. Their specific Bible canon, which is more, almost always the 66 book Bible canon, because Protestants are way more um, guilty of this than any other part of Christianity. But yeah, that's what it's all about. That's why when I was talking to that other guy there uh, several weeks ago, it's, he's like, well, you say you're against Paul? And he started out by going, you're, you know, so you're, uh, you're anti-Paul. You're, you're, I said, okay, let's, let's, let's start at the very bottom here. Let's, let's, go to, let's go to the very roots here. Bible canon is not of God. It's like, what? Like, yeah, it's not of God. The Bible is not biblical, period. So... That's what it's all about, really, I believe. I think that the, the greatest, the root of all this polyanity is bibli, bibli, bibliolatry. Um, and people just worship their Bible canon. They, they believe that God put the Bible together when history does not tell. Even the scriptures don't even say that. Nobody, as far as I know, no, even there's not even one so-called early church father, not even not even Marcion, as far as I know of, as much of a son of the devil as he was, not even Marcion claimed to get his inspiration of his canon from God, as far as I know. Not even Marcion. So nobody, nobody claimed, hey, you know, God, God revealed in a vision or God spoke to me, thus says the Lord. Here's a list of 66 books. Put it all together in one book. Nobody. But people automatically assume that. That's not, and that's not the case. Real truth says shalom all, shalom, the real truth. Good to see you. Seek truth in Christ says they're blind to the truth they are. Yeah. You know what? The, I think that there's many different things that come into play with these, with these kind of people. They're afraid. They're afraid to question what they have held dear, their dearly held beliefs. They're afraid, and that fear is based upon arrogance and pride, because they they have they cannot humble themselves to the point of saying, you know what, maybe I'm wrong, I could be wrong. Show me, you know, prove, you know, present evidence that I'm wrong, and I will admit that I'm wrong. They can't they can't bring themselves to that, so instead, they just they just ignore and. You know, a lot of these people, all they do is name call or come up with crazy um, theories or excuses as to why, you know, the 66 book Bible is 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 everything and nothing more, nothing less. Or Paul is the the only apostle to the Gentiles, nothing more, nothing less. Uh, they're afraid to think for themselves, I believe, based, you know, based upon their pride. Very good, Tammy. Yes, that's another good one, too. Jesus told the man in the courtyard that he healed, stop sinning before worse thing happens to you. You see, this is the thing. A lot of people don't understand this is that um, a lot of times 
Okay, so when you sin, when you break God's commandments or any of the commandments, you open the door to to the devil, more or less. I mean, generally speaking, you open the door to evil spirits. I'm not saying that this is this is what happens in every time, but I'm just saying you open the door, which means they can walk right in. Maybe they don't, maybe they won't, but sometimes they do. Walk right into your life and bring all of these curses upon you. Um, and so that's why I think, that's why Jesus said, stop sinning or else the worst thing will happen to you because if you sin again, you're going to open that door and those evil spirits, as it were, would bring more of a curse upon you, would, would inflict you more. You know, as he said, when one goes out and comes back, if, it, if the door is open and the place is all, you know, welcoming for that spirit, he'll bring worse. Uh, he'll bring seven more, wor- you know, more evil than himself. See, a lot of people don't understand that the courtyard of the court, not the courtyard, the court of God is always in session. There are always judgments coming down from the throne. Always. It can be blessings, judgments in your favor. Hopefully, and everyone who's listening to this will have judgments in their favor. Or, God forbid, judgments that are not in your favor for, you know, if you disobey, you you do something you shouldn't do, you you are giving the enemy legal rights, legal ground, so to speak, in your in your life, power over you. Um, that's why, you know, people do things wrong. They, you know, things you disobey God, bad things happen. Like, for example, you got people who, um, fill their bodies full of filthy, filthy, unclean things, such as, you know, uh, for those who, uh, were smoking, right? Smoking is doesn't matter if you're a believer or not. Any any doctor would say it's not good for you. And so, because it's a dirty habit, they call it a dirty habit. It's, it's much more than that. That's the euphemism, I think. But, um, but I, I believe that's breaking the Torah. Because the Torah, in, in principle, the Torah is against defiling your body with unclean things. Okay, so, and that's one of the worst even according to secular doctors, that's one of the worst things you can do, you know, smoking. Um, and so what that does, that can open the door for how I would say is the enemy through evil, evil spirits, through demons to, to afflict you, right? Afflict your memory. A lot of times when people start smoking, they, they are, they, their memory capacity is not as, is, I mean, that's just, that's just a fact. Because the nicotine causes the you know blood vessels to contract and restricts the blood flow to the brain and causes a lot of problems. Not good for your heart. You know, you're opening the door for the enemy. Then you got all the other diseases that it causes, right? It's just horrific. It's just horrific. You know, there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people who have suffered and died needlessly because of that. And if if the church, I always, bl- I, you know, I blame the church. If the church actually preached the truth, if the church preached what we're saying, what we're talking about right now, 
What we're saying right now, if the church actually preached that, then a lot of people wouldn't, their eyes would be opened. They wouldn't, they wouldn't allow themselves to get into these kind of predicaments anyway. And so a lot of people would be a lot more, a lot healthier than they are. Seek the truth, John 3.11. I think, I think it's 1 John 3.11. Because this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. When we are loving one another, when do we act, when do we actually sin in that we are loving one another? You see, love is defined in the in the in the Torah. When people talk about love, they always have you always love is very, very ambiguous and very, very subjective. So to a hundred different people, love can mean a hundred different things. So you have to define it. And so that's what the commandments are for. Uh, you know, Yeshua said, to love your Lord Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbors yourself. On these two commandments, all the Torah hangs, right? All the law and the prophets hang on those two commandments. The law and the prophets define what it really means, what it really looks like to love God and to love one another. So when you break any of the commandments, you are either not loving God the way you should or not loving others as you should. To Yabi, the glory says, agree, smoking is the physical type of being unclean, like how pride is the spiritual type of being unclean, and having one, only one type of, un, of cleanliness without the other is unhelpful. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's actually breaking more than one commandment because, I mean, you're breaking the whole concept of the Torah about, about keeping your body clean. That's one thing. That's one thing that you're transgressing if you're smoking. Another thing is the whole idea of the, uh, as they say in, in the scripture, sorcery or like the drug use, right? Um, because that's the reason why. I mean, you, you don't have any, nobody would ever buy any uh, tobacco products that are, nicotine free i mean perhaps they would buy it but it wouldn't it wouldn't go over very well because that quote-unquote sorcery is not there and so that's what it's all about so stigmata on tiktok says reading the bible in its context messiah finished his works and then he said did he finish it or not honest question man said i've learned a lot from you bro thank you um okay so i'll i'll speak to this and then we'll and then we'll move on with our scripture reading but this is a good question it's a good question so did messiah finish his works this reminds me of the cliche Christian, the cliche, cliche salvation, cliche Christianity. They always have the, what Jesus, what Jesus said, it is finished. You know, it, you know, the, you know, 
That was it. He finished. It was the finished work of the cross, right? The there's the the cliche, finished work of the cross. You know, Jesus finished it all. He paid it all. It's all finished. It's done. But here's the thing: most of these people who say that would also uh, say that Paul is everything that Paul writes is the word of God. So let's just go with that for a moment here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul makes it very clear. The crucifixion without the resurrection is useless, vain, vanity, futile, as he says. Your faith and your preaching is vain and futile. That's what Paul said himself. So in other words, see, people don't think. When, when they say stuff like the finished work of the cross, people don't think. That's far from finished. You got the resurrection, you got the ascension, you got Acts chapter 2. And then you got people, they would say, and I, 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 I see where they're coming from. And I, you know, I, they, some people would say salvation is not finished until it's finished, finished, finished. When he comes back, we are, you know, everything is all said and done, even after the thousand year reign of Christ, when, you know, the devil's thrown in the lake of fire and everything is indeed finished. And you are indeed in that new Jerusalem, there, secure forever. So. No, it's not entirely finished. Okay. Let's continue with our scripture readings. Second Kings chapter 22. Uh, put it up. Second Chronicles chapter 34. Um, just a second here. Now these are. This is not. It's still. It's. It's. I. You know. I can compare these two, and I'm going to. I'm, I'm going to do my best to put them up side by side in comparison here. Although sometimes they get kind of off the, off the the rails here a little bit. But excuse me. Over on the left hand side, for those of you on YouTube. Excuse me. Over on the left hand side, Second Kings. On the right hand side, Second Chronicles. I'll read 2 Kings first, and we'll take it piece, we'll take it step by step here. 2 Kings, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Yad Yadidah, the daughter of Adiah of Boskath. Okay. Over here in 2 Chronicles 34. Josiah was eight years old when he be, became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, period. It doesn't even say anything about his mother. You notice this, and we see this, we saw this how many times now. In 2 Kings, for some reason, the author of 2 Kings likes to talk about the mother and the mother's name. So we got that again here. Verse 2 of 2 Kings, And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in all the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right or to the right hand or to the left. In Second Chronicles, it says the same thing. 
It says the same thing in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verse 2. 2 Kings 22, verse 3. Now it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah. Oh, wait a second here. Let's, you know what? Let's just, um, this, this is one of these times it gets kind of off track here. Goes off the rails. Let's read from 2 Chronicles first, and we'll catch up to that to that spot. 2 Chronicles 34, verse 3. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he be, he began to seek the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images. He broke down the altars of the Baals, or the Baals in his presence, and the incense altars which were above them he cut down. And the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images he broke in pieces and made dust of them and sc scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. Wow. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars. And cleanse Judah and Jerusalem. Is that ever? Uh, <laughs> that's quite the uh, quite the thing there to do. Verse six. So he did in the city, and so he did in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali, and all around with axes when he had broken down the altars and the wooden images he had beaten the carved images into powder and cut down all the incense altars altars throughout all the land of israel he returned to jerusalem here we are hilkiah finds the book of the law so I'm going to continue with Second Chronicles here. In the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, Masaiah, the governor of the city, and Yoah, the son of Yoaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. In Second Kings, it says, Now it came to pass, in the 18th year of King Josiah, that he sent Shaphan the scribe, the son of Azaliah, the son of Mashulam, to the house of the Lord, saying, Okay, so this is different. Verse 4, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may count the money which has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people. And let them deliver it into the hand of those doing the work, who are the overseers in the house of the Lord. And let them give it to those who are in the house of the Lord doing the work. To repair the damages of the house, to carpenters and builders and masons, and to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. Uh, however, there need be no accounting made with them of the money delivered into their hand because they deal faithfully. Going back over here to Second Chronicles 34, verse 9. Let me see how far we got here. 
Verse 9, when they came to Helkiah the priest, they delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites, who kept the doors, had gathered from the, from the land of Manasseh and Ephraim, from all the remnant of Israel, from all Judah and Benjamin, and which they had brought back to Jerusalem. And they put it in the hand of the foreman who had the oversight of the house of the Lord. And they gave it to the workmen who worked in the house of the Lord to repair and restore the house. They gave it to the craftsmen and builders to buy hewn stone and timber for beams and, and to floor the houses which the kings of Judah had destroyed. And the men did the work faithfully. Their overseers were Yahath and Obadiah of the, Lev- uh, the Levites and, or excuse me, the Levites of the sons of Merari and Zechariah and Meshulam of the sons of the Kohathites to supervise. Others of the Levites, all of whom were skillful with instruments of music, were over the burden bearers and were, uh, were overseers of all who did work in any kind of service, and some of the Levites were scribes, officers, and gatekeepers. Now when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. So Shaphan carried the book to the king, bringing the king word, saying, All that was committed to your servants they are doing, and they have gathered the money that was found in the house of the Lord, and have delivered it to the hand of the overseers and the workmen. Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, and Shaphan read it before the king. Okay, let's catch up over here in Second Kings chapter 22. Verse 8, Then Hilkiah the, the high priest said to Shaphan the, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. So Shaphan the scribe went to the king, bringing the king word, saying, Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of those who do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. When Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, and Shaphan read it before the king. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. Somebody, some, somebody might say, why would he tear his clothes? Well, this was a sign of grief, lament, of being distraught. This is what it says here in Second Chronicles chapter 34, verse 19 as well. Thus it happened when the king heard the words of the law that he tore his clothes. Moving on with Second Chronicles chapter 34, verse 20. Then the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahikam, 
the son of Shaphan, Abdon, the son of Micah, Shaphan, the scribe, and Asaiah, a servant of the king, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me. And for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is, that is poured out on us. Because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. 2 Kings 22. So 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 12. Then the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, Akbor, the son of Micaiah, Micaiah, uh, that's different than what we've read back here, uh, son of Micah over here, Rabdan, the son of Micah, and Akbor instead of Ab Abdan. So in 2 Kings, we got Akbor, but in 2 Chronicles, we have Abdon, different. Again, it's probably a scribal error, um, misspelling of the, of the name, same with Micah. And Micaiah, Micah, who is like Yah, who is like God, Micaiah, Shaphan the scribe, and Asiah, a servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me, for all, or for the people, and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us. Because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. Okay. A little bit worded a little bit different than 2 Chronicles, but pretty much the same idea. Uh, moving on in 2 Kings 22, verse 14. Uh, so Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, Akbor, Shaphan, and Asaiah went to went to Huldah, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikva, the son of Harhaz, keeper of the wardrobe. She, dwell, she dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter. And they spoke with her. And she said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord. You see, even, even this... Uh, even even Hulda here, even Huda, the prophetess, speaks in with with more authority than someone like Paul does. I mean, just saying. You, know, you don't have Paul saying, you know, stuff like this, right? Thus says the Lord God of Israel. Tell the man who sent you to me, thus says the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants, all the words of the book which the king of Israel. Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. Well, God bless Hulda for not being an ear tickler, like we have so many ear ticklers today. Let's check it out here in Second Chronicles. Um. 34, verse 22. So Hilkiah and those 
the king had appointed went to Huldah, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tokoth. Tokoth. Okay. No, it doesn't say that in... It says Tikva in Second Kings. It doesn't say Tokoth. Uh, the footnotes here would say Tikva. Yeah, in Second in Second Kings is Tikva. The son of Hasra. Again, Hasra is different than Harhas. Harhas in Second Kings. Hasra in Second Chronicles. This is again. This is the reason why I, you know, we have the same person being referred to by two different spellings of two different names, similar, but two different names. Keeper of the wardrobe. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke to her to that effect. And she answered them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants, all the curses that are written in the book which they have uh, read before the king of Judah. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out on this place and not be quenched. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord in this manner, you shall speak to him, thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God, when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants, and you humbled yourself before me, and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place and its inhabitants." So they brought back word to the king. All right. Second Kings chapter 22, verse 18. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord in this manner, uh, you shall speak to him, thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself. See, humility always moves God. Always moves God. Humility just moves God. You humble yourself. You humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would be, become a desolation and a curse. And you tore your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place. So they brought back the word to the king. They brought back word to the king. Beautiful. Second Kings 23 matches Second Chronicles 34, 29. Uh, so, since we're on King, 2 Kings, let's continue with 2 Kings. This is chapter 23, verse 1. Now the king sent them to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. 
Second Chronicles 34, 29 says, Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. So, not so, I mean, says pretty much, well, is less words. It doesn't say to him. It doesn't say sent them. But uh, moving on with 2 Kings 23, verse 2, the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and with him all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the house of the Lord. 2 Kings 34, 30, the king, up, the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites. Doesn't mention Levites in 2 Kings. And all the people, great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which they had they had been uh, which had been found in the house of the Lord. Second Chronicles thirty four thirty one. Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all, and his in all his soul, to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. 2 Kings 23.3 Then the king stood by the pillar, by a pillar, it doesn't say by a pillar in 2 Chronicles, and made a covenant before the Lord, to follow the Lord, to keep his commandments. Now, here again, like, if it were impossible to keep the commandments of the Torah, this king would either this king would have to be like extremely stupid <laughs> to make a covenant after reading all the commandments to make a covenant with God saying that he will he will follow all the commandments so obviously it's clear to him that he can keep it obviously his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant and uh, that were written in this book. And all the people took a stand for the covenant. And the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, the priests of the second order, and the doorkeepers to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the articles that were made for Baal for Asherah, and for all the hosts of heaven. Excuse me. And he, and he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. Now let's catch up here in 2 Chronicles 34, verse 32. And he, and he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin take a stand. So that's different than just saying, and all the people took a stand for the covenant. Uh, it says, and he made all the people in Jerusalem and, and Benjamin take a stand. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. Thus Josiah removed all the abominations from the country that belonged to the children of Israel and made all who were present in Israel diligently 
serve the Lord their God. All his days, they did not depart from following the Lord God of their fathers. Wow. So he made them all, all who were present in Israel, diligently serve the Lord your God. All his days, they did not depart. Beautiful. 2 Kings 23, verse... Um, where are we now? Verse 5. Then he removed the idolatrous priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense on the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places all around Jerusalem. And those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the constellations, and to all the hosts of heaven. And he brought out the wooden image from the house of the Lord to the brook Kidron outside Jerusalem, burned it at the brook Kidron, and ground it to ashes, and threw its ashes on the graves of the common people. Wow. Then he tore down the ritual booths of the perverted persons that were in the house of the Lord, where the women wove hangings for the wooden image. And he brought all the priests from the cities of Judah and defiled the and defiled and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba. Also he broke down the high places at the gates, which were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were to the left of the gate of the city gate. Nevertheless, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brethren. Uh, let's see what we got over here in Second Chronicles 35. Okay, well, let's continue reading in Second Kings. And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom. This is again Hinnom. Um, Son of Hinnom, sons of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or his daughter pass through the fire to Molech. Then he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun at the entrance to the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Melech, the officer who was in the court, and he burned the chariots of the sun with fire. The altars that were on the roof, the upper chamber of Ahaz, Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and all and the altars which Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord, the king broke down and pulverized there, and threw their dust into the brook Kidron. Then the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem which were on the south of, of Mount of the Mount of Corruption, Mount of Corruption, uh, Kedeshim, those practicing sodomy and prostitution in ritual religious rituals, Mount of Corruption. This could be the Mount of Sodom, Mount Sodom. Actually, you can you can if you go on Google Maps, you can you can actually go on Street View, you can actually see Mount Sodom. Um, which Solomon, king of Israel, had built for 
Ashtaroth, the abomination of the Sidonians, for Chemosh, the abomination of the Moabites, and for Milcom, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he broke in pieces the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images and filled their places with the bones of men. Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place which Jeroboam or Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, had made, both, the high, both that altar and the high place he broke down. And he burned the high place and crushed it to powder and burned the wooden image. As Josiah turned, he saw the tombs that were there on the mountain. And he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed, who proclaimed these words. Then he said, what gravestone is this I see? So the men of the city told him, It is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaimed these things which you have done against the altar of Bethel. And he said, Let him alone. Let no one move his bones. So they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet who came from Samaria. Now, Josiah, during Josiah, also took, took away all the shrines of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made to provoke the Lord to anger. And he did to them according to all the deeds he had done in Bethel. He executed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burned men's, men's bones on them, and he returned to Jerusalem. Then the king commanded all the people, saying, Keep the Passover of the Lord your God. Yeah, so this is where we pick up here in Second Chronicles chapter 35. Um, so let me, I'll read this here. I'll continue reading Second Kings, then we'll skip over to Second Chronicles 35. So again, this is Second Kings 23, 21. Then the king commanded all the people saying, keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in the book of the covenant. Such a Passover surely had never been held since the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of, the, of King Josiah, Josiah, this Passover was held before the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, Josiah, or Josiah put away those who consulted mediums and spiritists, the household, gods, and idols, all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and Jerusalem, that he might perform the words of the law, which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Now before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to all the law, according to all the law of Moses nor after him did any arise like him. Let's see what we got here. So let's, we'll stop here in, in 2 Kings, and we'll pick up in 2 Chronicles chapter 35, verse 1. Now, Josiah, or Josiah, kept a Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem, and they slaughtered the Passover lambs on the 14th day of the first month. And he set the priests in their duties and encouraged them for the service of the house of the Lord. And he said to the Levites who taught all Israel, who were holy to the Lord, 
put the holy ark in the house which Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel, built. It shall no longer be a burden on your shoulders. Now serve the Lord your God and his people Israel. Prepare yourselves according to your father's houses, according to your divisions, uh, following the written instruction of David, king of Israel, and the written instruction of Solomon, his son. And stand in the holy place according to the divisions of the father's houses of your brothers, the bro- your brethren and lay and, and uh, excuse me the lay people, and according to the division of the father's house of the Levites. So slaughter the Passover offerings, consecrate yourselves, and prepare them for your brothers, that they may do according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Then Josiah gave the lay people lambs and young goats from the flock, all for Passover offerings for all, uh, for all who were present to, number, to the number of 30,000, as well as 3,000 cattle. These were from the king's possessions. And his leaders gave willingly to the people, to the priests, and to the Levites. Hilkiah, Zechariah, and Yael, rulers of the house of God, gave to the priests for the Passover offerings 2,600 from the flock and 300 cattle. Also, Konaniah, his brothers Shemaiah and Nathanel and Hashabiah and Yael and Yozabad, Chief of the Levites gave to the Levites for Passover offerings 5,000 from the flock and 500 cattle. So the service was prepared, and the priests stood in their places, and the Levites in their divisions according to the king's command. And they slaughtered the Passover offerings, and the priests sprinkled the blood with their, with their hands while the Levites skinned the animals. Then they removed the burnt offerings that they might give them to the divisions of the fathers' houses of the lay people to offer to the Lord, as it is written in the book of Moses. And so they did with the cattle. They also roasted the Passover offerings with fire, according to the ordinance. But the other holy offerings they boiled in pots, in cauldrons, and in pans, and divided them quickly among all the lay people. Then, afterward, they prepared portions for themselves and for the priests, because the priests, the sons of Aaron, were busy in offering burnt offerings and fat until night. Therefore, the Levites prepared portions for themselves and for the priests, the sons of Aaron, and the singers, the sons of Asaph, were in their places, according to the command of David, Asaph, Haman, and Yeduthun, the king's seer. Also, the gatekeepers were at, e- were at each gate. They did not have to leave their position because their brothers, the Levites, prepared portions for them. So all the service of the Lord was prepared the same day to keep the Passover and to offer burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord according to the command of King Josiah. And the children of, of Israel who were present kept the Passover at that time and the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days. There had been no Passover kept in Israel like that since the days of Samuel the prophet, 
And none of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as Yosea kept with the priests and the Levites, all Judah and Israel who were present, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem in the 18th year of the reign of Yosea, this Passover was kept. Let's catch, catch up over here in 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 26. Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn from the fierceness of his great wrath with which his anger was aroused against Judah because of all the provocations which, with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will also remove Judah from my sight as I have removed Israel and will cast off this city Jerusalem, which I have chosen, and the, and the house which, uh, of which I said, my name shall be there. Now the rest of the acts of Yosea and all that he did, are they not written in the book of, of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went to the aid of king, uh, the king of Assyria, to the river Euphrates, and King Yosea went against him, and Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo. Megiddo is where uh, the book of Revelation says is where the, the last in great battle will be held. Armageddo, Arm, uh, Har, meaning in the Hebrew, um, mountains or hills, mountain or hill of Megiddo. When he, when he confronted him, then his servants moved his body in a chariot from Megiddo, brought him to Jerusalem, and buried him in his own tomb. And the people of the land took Joahaz, the son of Josiah, anointed him, and made him king in his father's place. Second Chronicles 35, verse 20. After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, king of Egypt, came up to fight against Carchemish by the, by the Euphrates, and Yosea went out against him. So we don't have Carchemish in 2 Kings. So 2 Chronicles 35, verse 21, But he sent messengers to him, saying, what have I to do with you, king of Judah? I have not come out against you this day, but against the house with which I have, I have war. For God commanded me to make haste. Refrain from meddling with God, who is with me, lest he destroy you. Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but he disguised himself so that he might fight with him and did not heed the words of Necho, from the mouth of God. So he came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. And the archers shot King Yosea, and the king said to his servants, Take me away, for I am severely wounded. His servants therefore took him out of that chariot and put him into the second chariot that he had, and they brought him to Jerusalem. So he died and was buried in one of the tombs of his fathers. Now, again, Second Kings doesn't doesn't give us those details. The way 2 Kings is worded, it sounds like he died before he went to Jerusalem. And the way that 2 Chronicles is worded, it sounds like he died after. 
Moving on, 2 Chronicles 35, the last part of verse 24. So he died and was buried in one of the tombs of his fathers. And all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah, Josiah. Jeremiah also lamented for Josiah. And to this day, all the singing men and the singing women speak of Josiah in their lamentations. And they made it a custom in Israel. And indeed, they are written in the laments. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and his goodness, according to what is written, what was written in the law of the Lord, and his deeds from first to last, indeed they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. Second Kings twenty three thirty one. Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. Now Pharaoh Necho put him in prison at Ribna in the land of Hamath, that he might not reign in Jerusalem, and he imposed on the land a tribute of one hundred talents of silver and a talent of gold. Then Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, the son of Yosia, king, king in place of his father Yosia, and changed his name to Jehoiakim or Jehoiakim. And Pharaoh took Jehoahaz and went out or went to Egypt, and he died there. So Jehoiakim gave the silver and gold to Pharaoh. But he taxed the land to give money according to the command of Pharaoh. He exacted the silver and gold from the people of the land and from everyone according to his assessment uh, to give to give it to Pharaoh Necho. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name, again, Second Kings likes, always likes to mention his mother, his mother, who the mother was. Mother's name was Zabuda. And the daughter of Padiah of Rumah, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. Awesome, awesome. And that concludes our scripture reading for tonight. So I'm going to check to see what we have here in the live chat. Once again, reminder, especially for those of you who may be new here, Put at Christopher in the live chat. Otherwise, I probably won't see your your question or your comment. Billy said, I was watching a rabbi today saying Jews don't believe that Jesus was Messiah because he didn't complete the works prophesied to him. Yeah, that's that's one of the reasons why. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why. Uh, they believe that, that the Messiah is to be a political ruler that is to come, that kind of thing, and uh, set up a, you know, draw all the remnant of Israel back all the Jews back to the homeland and set up and there would be a, as they put a utopian world when there'd be great peace everywhere. Yeah. So 
1 John says, do you think that the church has sprinkled holy water? Sprinkling holy water is their way of sprinkling blood. Um, I cannot really speak to that because I, I don't, I, I, I'm not sure the history of that. So I cannot speak to that. Be good. It'd be interesting to find out, that's for sure. That's a very good question, one, John. Thank you. Sorry I couldn't answer it more specifically. One John says, uh, how much time elapsed between Josiah and Samuel that they didn't keep the Passover? Very, very good question. As you know, um, there would be, it depends on which manuscript you go by. Right? If we go by the, the Septuagint, it's a different, there are different, uh, hundreds of years difference between that and um, Masoretic. But the prophet Samuel, um, let me just, and it, it's it's very it's not very um, set in stone. Put it that way. The prophet Samuel here. Uh, so that would be just slightly more than a thousand years BC, slightly more. Um, because he had to have been here when, when David was here. Uh, also, um, King Josiah. Again, these, these dates are relative to um, To whatever manuscript, uh, this would be more than likely the Masoretic. Josiah would have been the seventh century BC, so it'd be a, about three hundred years there, uh, according to. I believe that would be for the, the Masoretic. Uh, that wouldn't be. Um, that would not be um, the Septuagint, as far as I know. Um, but the Septuagint would vary. So at least, you know, a couple hundred years, two or three hundred years, I would say. Very good question. Thank you. Cat Cool, um, what church would you recommend? The SDA church, Messianic Jewish church, or something else? <sighs> We are, you know, it's it's a very good question. It's a really good question. Here's the problem. I mean, we are living in times of great deception, of great... Uh, we are living in times of, of the great falling away. I do believe so. Uh, so I cannot recommend any, any church. Um, I mean, hey, in in the Bible, in the book of Acts, they didn't have a church, so to speak. They were the church. They went to the temple. They went to the synagogue. They met from house to house. So 
And this is what they did regularly. So that's the quote unquote biblical way. The biblical way is not going to church. <laughs> it's actually unbiblical to go to church. I know that sounds, you know, <laughs> I know that I know that doesn't it sounds like it's, it's con, but that's the truth. It's it's unbiblical to go to church. The church is we are the church, and the biblical way to do it is to um, fellowship with. Well, as as I said, they went to synagogue. They went to, uh, I, like, I'm not saying that we should go to synagogue. Like, I'm not saying go and find your nearest synagogue and go there. Although, if you do, that's more biblical than going to church. It's more biblical. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I could not recommend any church, unfortunately, uh, because it's just so incredibly infiltrated and polluted it just it, i mean that's just the way it is um so far church is very very church gives people a sense of false security it, it really it does Almost always. I'm not saying 100% of every church. I mean, I'm not saying every church is like this. But, hey, like I said before, these are the days of Micaiah. If you didn't see that video, watch that video. These are the days of Micaiah. And I do believe these are the days of Micaiah. Um, Micaiah, there was 400 spiritual leaders to one good one. 400 to one. Um. Perhaps even today, it'd be even less than that. I mean, the ratio would be even, would be, be even, you know, maybe one to a thousand, maybe in these days. But in the days of Micaiah, it was 400 to one. 400, I always, I hate to say false, false teachers or whatever, false, but 400 false prophets, so to speak, to one good one, to one true one. Um, in the same way, I would say there's at least 400 bad churches to every one good one. At least that much, perhaps more. So, yeah, I, 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 I just would not recommend going to church uh, in these days. It, it gives us, it gives a false sense of security because what happens is. See, 400 to 1, let's just use that ratio. That means only one quarter of 1% of all the churches out there, if it's that ratio, would be good. The rest of them are not. So 99.75% of all the churches are politically motivated. They're politically influenced. So they won't, they, they won't do what they're supposed to do. They won't call people... Um, they won't call out sin. They won't call people to a Torah observance. They won't call people to repentance like they should. They won't call people. <laughs> they won't, they won't, they won't preach like Jesus preached. They won't. As um as an old an old preacher used to say. If Jesus preached the same way pastors preach today, he would never have been crucified. 
Think about it. All the people, almost all of them, except for just his little core group of people that he had, almost the entire nation were, was crying out. You know, they're all just saying crucify him. Why? Why would they say that? They hated him. Why? I believe because he called out their sin. He called out their hypocrisy. He, they just didn't like him. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't this lovey-dovey, um, tree-hugging hippie like everybody thinks that he is or was. Um, yeah, so I, I just wouldn't, I would not recommend any church at this time. Wish I could, but I can't. Sorry, Matthew, but that's a very good question. Thank you for asking. Will Sr. says, in agreement with Christopher on the church question, finding sound biblical fellowship is what's important. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know what? And praise God for what we have here. Um, you know, for what like what God has given us here. Let's see what we have here on TikTok. The Pious Crusader. Yeah, Pious Crusader. This church is a gather gathering of listeners. The church was a gathering of listeners, was never in a building. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so and that is all that I see so far. Uh, Vida, Vida, Shalom all, Elohim bless you all. Thank you very much, Vida, Elohim bless you more. You and yours be blessed and protected. Lead you and guide you in the wonderful, wonderful ways of, of Elohim. Okay, so... BB says, Shalom to all. Again, I'm sorry if I missed you guys here. Um, Real Truth says, um, I have not been in a church for t the past 28 years. Will Sr. says, I so appreciate your ministry. Thank you very much. I appreciate you as well. Thank you. And for the Real Truth saying, uh, Real Truth, not in the past 28 years. Now, let me just guess. This is a little bit more than a guess, but let me just guess. Re the Real Truth after you, it sounds like you've left church. Maybe I'm wrong, but if you've left church, let me guess. After you left church, then your relationship and your knowledge of the scripture, your relationship with God and your knowledge of the scriptures just, just exponentially grew. Let me guess. Is that the case? Billy says, 
what I was looking at the Hallelujah scriptures and I was and was thinking of ordering one. I'd love to spend I'd love to send you one to get your opinion. You have an address where I could mail you one. Um you can send it if you want to communicate with me in my email address, like right now I don't have a um my email my email address. Let me see here. Send me an email, Billy. Um, Brother Pete says, I am going, I'm going to apply for a job. Please pray that I get hired. Okay, let's do that. And I'll, I'll answer your question in just a moment there. Pious Crusader will, will uh, pray for Kingdom Concepts, Brother Pete first. So, Father, once again, Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father, for this for this evening, for this day you've given us. Thank you, Father, for your blessings upon us. Thank you, Father, for for your for your grace. Thank you for your love. You are holy, you are just, you are great and awesome. You are the great and awesome God. So, Father, we ask you. We all come together right now in unity, in agreement, and we ask you that you would have favor upon Brother Pete. You would, you, you would give him favor. Give him wisdom to know how to answer. If, he, if he's got a... Uh, um, if he's got an interview, if he's got a job uh, that he's going to be interviewed, uh, if he's going to talk to his uh, potential employer, Father, we ask you that you would give him favor in their in their eyes. Father, we ask you you would give uh, Brother Pete wisdom and knowledge to know what to say, what not to say, how to say it, and uh, and Father, just have mercy upon Brother Pete here and. And give him favor in the eyes of this potential employer that he would get hired. In the name of Yeshua of Nazareth, everyone said, Amen. Amen. Real Truth said, um, I was convicted of the Sabbath and was kicked out of my church. Went to SDA for 1.5 years and then, and then no church at all. Okay. <laughs> kicked out of church for obeying the Sabbath. Isn't that something? And that's this goes to show you like wh where the church is today. Today to entry job. Real truth, when the law converted my soul, everything changed. Yeah, it's amazing, amazing. Pious Crusader, um, over there on TikTok, is it wrong to call Elohim God or is it strictly Elohim and does Yahweh mean Jehovah? Um, okay, so 
my, my take on this is just like, this is why I point out as well, even in the Bible itself, we have, especially between first and second Samuel, first and second Kings and in first and second uh, Chronicles, as well as throughout different books of the Bible as well, you'll see a person, you'll see different names referring to the same person. Like for example, in, uh, in the King James, I think it's, uh, Elijah in the in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, I think it's Elias, if I can remember right. Elias, yeah, Elias. Elias, All right? So my point is this, is even within the scriptures themselves, you have different spellings and different pronunciations of the same per- name for the same person. Uh, so my point is, I don't think God is like, he doesn't get his nose out of joint if you say it the wrong way. And to, uh, quite honestly, I don't think that anybody can really knows exactly how to, because how, how picky do you want to be? How picky? And some people can say, well, it's not Yahweh, it's Yahweh. You know, somebody might say, well, it's not yeah, Yahuwah, it's Yahuwah or Yahuwah. Or, you know, it, even in the scriptures themselves, you got different dialects, even within the children of Israel. Like one person said Sibboleth, the other person said Shibboleth, uh, as we read, it, we read in the Tanakh. So there are different pronunciations, different, even different spellings, and sometimes even different names for the same person. So I do not believe that God gets his nose on a joint if you say Elohim or if you say God or if you say Yahweh, if you say Yahuwah or if you say, you know, whatever. I think if it's done in, in spirit and in truth, I think, I think if, if it's done with respect and honor, I think that God respects and honors that no matter how you pronounce it. Is he knows what you mean? Like this is how I look at it. Like people call people pronounce my name different ways, right? Some people call me Chris. I prefer Christopher, but people call me Chris. I answer to it. I don't complain. So people, you want to call me Chris? I'll answer to it. Right? I'm not going to get my nose on a joint. Some people call me Chris. Like okay, you want to call me Chris, right? But I I understand. Okay, some people that's that's their accent, right? So that's the way I I'm not going to you know. That's fine. It's all it's all good to me. It's all good. So I don't th- I think God's like that. It's like as you guys know, I don't say Jehovah although saying it I I think that's far off from the from the real the the real way of saying it. I mean, but although saying it like to me, if I'm talking to somebody who knows him as Jehovah, I'll, I'll probably use that. I was say oh, Jehovah, Jehovah, but I would, I would say, you know, if I had give me enough time and enough space, and I would say, well, do you know that the letter J is not even in the original Hebrew, and you know, all this kind of stuff. But this is why I say Jesus sometimes. This is why I say Yeshua, you know, or Yahushua, all kinds of different ways of saying his name. I don't think he's got a problem with it. Um. I do have my preferences, but whatever, you know. Um, d- can anybody say with 100 degrees, cer- 100% certainty, this is how you pronounce the four-letter name of God? This Because 
Who knew? Didn't Moses know exactly how to pronounce it? Well, probably, but did, did, did Adam know? Um, but even then, there could have been different dialects. There could have been different... Uh, how, how picky do you want to get, right? There could have been different um, accents, even within the different tribes of the children of Israel. Different, we know that's the case, actually, from, uh, from the scriptures where it says one person said Sibboleth, the other one couldn't say that, they had to say Shibboleth. So different ways, different, different, you know, different ways of saying things. I guess it's like, you know, if you're from New York or you're from North Carolina or whatever, I mean, different ways of talking, you know, so, you know, England, you know, British English or U.S. English, uh, whatever. Uh, I don't think that, that God has a problem either way. I do have my my preferences, but I don't think God gets his his uh, Elohim gets his nose out of joint, uh, no matter which way you say it. Thank you for asking, Pious Crusader. Because you see, like a lot of people. In different parts of the world, you've got, they wouldn't say Elohim. They would say, in other parts of the world, they would say Allah or Aloah. Okay? It means the same thing. It means the same person, the creator, the, you know, the God of Abraham. It means the same thing. Um, even in Christian churches, they would use those. They wouldn't say Elohim. In certain parts of the world, you know, and a lot of people they this is what I find. I find this in every almost every religion is people they idolize a certain language. I don't think that's right either. I don't think God wants us to idolize any language, like make like you know, because some people is like Greek. I I remember uh, meeting a guy there several years ago, and he was a you know course a Christian he's like Greek is the language I'm thinking well Hebrew you, th you should learn a little bit of Hebrew too but he, he was into Greek but Greek is like was his thing and some people is like Hebrew is their thing it's like that's the language of God other people is like well Arabic or or this is you know this particular language or that particular language is the language language of God I don't think we should I think that there are different these are all languages of men, right? They are languages of the earth, and everybody likes to, you know, everybody wants their language to be the the you know the top one. But I don't think it's um, I don't think it's good to idolize and to make an idol out of anything. I just caught just caught my eye here. Uh, Will Senior says uh, exactly. Sacred namers can get a bit you know it can get a bit ridiculous. None of us existed two thousand years ago. Yeah. Exactly. I would even, I could, I mean, they could probably make, you can, you can make a good argument that even Jesus, Yeshua, Yahshua, whatever you want to say, even Yeshua probably did not pronounce the name or even Elohim or anything like that, like Moses did. I mean, it's quite a difference. You think about how, how much difference the, Eng how much, how much difference even just English 
the, the English language 400 years ago. King James. You ever you guys ever see like a legit like 1611 King James Bible? It's like, <laughs> wow. It's like the, the F, Fs look like Ss. And it's like the way things are spelt and the way things are, it's like really, it's like, it seems like almost a different language. And that's just 400 years. Think about 1,500 years, you know, between Moses and Jesus, right? So there might have been a lot of difference, um, you know, considerable amount anyway, I would think. Um, I don't think that it was, I don't think, I don't think it's feasible that, that the language would have been preserved perfectly all those 1,500 years between Moses and Jesus. One John says, uh, this is to Will, though. Um, Michael Rudes. Michael Rudes. Rude Awakening. Um, yeah, an expert on who claimed, claims he proved that E-I-Y is Yehovah, just for your info. Um I, I noticed that there's a lot of people getting into this, this, you know, I, but this was back like what, 10 years ago. Like I, I, I did, I watched and I don't know how much of Michael Rude I watched, um, years ago and probably about a decade ago, uh, back when he was more popular on, especially on YouTube. And, um, and I, I don't like saying, anything negative about someone like this but um i see so many people going i see so much of this resurfacing it was it was pretty it was up there it was like a big thing back 10 years ago you know michael rude with the rude awakening and the and the things that he said on there it was just absolutely <sighs> I don't want to say anything negative, overly negative, but it was certainly. If anybody used a little bit of good critical thinking with that, with with some of the things, <laughs> they would see they would see the problems, big problems with Michael Rood. Um, I remember the first time I went to I, I went to actually the uh, one of the biggest. Um, messianic synagogues in in on the continent actually uh, a few years after that and i introduced myself to one of the rabbis there and uh you know and he he discerned that back in those days again this would have been well this would have been at least eight years ago now i think at least yeah uh back in those days he discerned that i was you know I was coming out of the Christian world and coming into like messianic kind of, or, you know, that kind of thing, like discovering and, 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 uh, researching the Jewish, um, uh, Jewishness of, of the scriptures and of the Messiah. And the first thing he said to me, first thing he said to me, he said, he said, Michael Rude, don't listen to Michael. Rude. I'm, I'm like, you don't have to tell me that. 
I know, I know, I know. You don't have to tell. Don't worry about me. I, I there's no, uh, no doubt about that. Uh, so, yeah. Um, Kingdom Concepts said there were good things. Mr. said, "Yeah, I'm not saying that everything. Just like with anybody else. I mean, um, with anybody else, uh, I don't know of anybody that's that's so false that everything they say is wrong. Uh, but uh, you know, like I always say, you know, there's things you can, um, you know, people that are." following a very wrong way uh can 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 bring out some you know they can say some some good things for sure okay i'm gonna wrap it up here in just a moment so i just want to make sure i got everyone here tammy says Thank you for another great night and great a, gr a great group of people. Have have a wonderful night, all. Thank you very much, Tammy. Have a wonderful night. Blessings multiplied to you. Shalom. It's been great having you as well, Tammy. Thank you. Yeah, the real truth says um, we do not have Moses tape recorder, so. No way today to know the pronunciation. Yeah, exactly. That's that's exactly that's the thing right there. I mean, we can come close, maybe we can come close, but you know, if we ever meet one day, we meet Moses, you know, and he actually says, Moses, what? Well, how was it pronounced? We'd probably go, Wow, really? Wow. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I can sense that if one is upset over the pronunciation, they need to examine their heart. Yeah, absolutely. We don't worship a language or we don't worship a certain pronunciation or anything like that. Okay. Okay, guys, that's it for tonight. Um, again, thank you very much for... For your fellowship, you guys are awesome. We'll be back again tomorrow night, Lord willing. And we will be getting into Zephaniah and Jeremiah. Zephaniah and Jeremiah. Wow. I can just imagine, uh, you know, Jer both have very powerful scriptures that we can talk about. Um, Jeremiah with his, you know, the Lord knew me before I was conceived, that kind of thing. Uh, and Zephaniah, so much stuff going on in Zephaniah and, uh, you know, the Messiah in, in Zephaniah. So it's going to be absolutely amazing. I'm looking forward to it. Lord willing, again, same time, same place, guys, tomorrow, 7 p.m. Eastern. For those of you who are new, uh, we do this every single day. By the grace of God, uh, seven days a week, Sunday through Friday, six days at 7 p.m. Eastern and Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern. All right. So once again, thanks, everyone. Many, many blessings multiplied to you. And may God just bless you with great wisdom and revelation and understanding of his word and of the truth. 
in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Amen. To Yabi, the glory says, have a, have a good night, y'all, and shalom, you too as well. One John says, thanks, Christopher. Have a great night. Thank you. Have a great night as well. Shalom and blessings, brother. Cat uh, Cool says, um, bye, guys. Have a, good, have a good night. You too, Matthew. Real Truth says, shalom, all. Blake says, good night, everyone. Thank you. Great night. Thank you very much, Blake. Appreciate you, brother. And the real truth says, have a good night and a good day tomorrow. You too as well. All right. So again, I'll see you tomorrow, 7 p.m. Eastern, Lord willing. Until then, as always, I pray the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Lift up his countenance upon you. Give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen. Amen. See you tomorrow.